Good morning. If you would, go ahead and turn with me in your copies of God's Word to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter is a letter uh, that can be found at the end of your Bible, at the end of the New Testament. If you're using the Pew Bible there, we're going to be on page 1014. To add a little bit to what Steve uh, mentioned earlier about my sabbatical in June and July, one, um, thank you as a church for that. Um, I'm not burnout. Uh, I'm not job hunting. Uh, in fact, the, the, the purpose of a sabbatical, and if you think about it in terms of the, the practice for, for Old Testament Israel, the purpose was to observe the Sabbath and sabbatical before the fields were burnt out. Uh, and so... Um, seven years, uh, it's, it's been seven years since uh, you called me as your pastor in June of 2015. We have labored here uh, since 2011, uh, and so it seemed like a good time uh, to take a short sabbatical. Again, our plan was to go to Ukraine and get to participate with our sister church there and do some ministry there, and that has uh, been interrupted uh, but I still plan to, to do some, some reading and some other things to kind of rejuvenate during that time. So, uh, And my prayer for our church during that time is that a ministry here would flourish, not stagnate. Uh, that's, really, that's really the goal, that the field would be healthier as a result of the rest, uh, not in spite of the rest. And so, um, so that's my prayer for our church. Uh, it's... Also fitting that we are hoping to bring on new elders and deacons uh, before I take my sabbatical so that those men can shepherd and serve uh, in, my, in my absence for those, uh, for those two months. So thank you for that. Um, all right, we are going to be in 1 Peter. Uh, we're going to look at verses 13 through 21 today. Just to give you some quick context, uh, if you haven't been with us, Peter is writing to a group of Christians who have been uh, rejected and ostracized because they have begun to follow Jesus. In fact, he identifies them in the opening verses as elect exiles, chosen foreigners. Uh, people, they're not, they're not foreign uh, in that they've moved to a new place. They're now foreigners because the places where they have lived, the families that they are a part of, have rejected them. Because they, they are now out of step with the world around them because they are in step with God. So they are loved and accepted by God, but rejected by the world around them. Uh, and every Christian has that strange dual identity. Accepted by God, loved and accepted by God, but rejected, misunderstood, even sometimes hated by the world around them. So Peter is writing into that context. Uh, and in verses 3 through 12, he begins, uh, and it's a common New Testament practice, he begins first by telling them what God has done for them. So before he tells them how to live, he first tells them what God has done. And he calls it a living hope. He, calls, he says that what God has gotten for them, what God has purchased for them through his son, is an inheritance that cannot be lost. It cannot fade. It cannot be destroyed. So, so that you understand, right, the circumstances is they, 
Things are being taken from them. They are losing things. But Peter is trying to encourage them and say, no, 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 listen. What God has given you cannot be taken away. What God has given you cannot be lost. And so it's as if Peter is saying, look, I know you look like losers now. And you may feel like losers now. But I promise you cannot lose. In Christ, you cannot lose. That is, that is the reality that Peter wants to set before their eyes and minds and hearts so that they will not give up. Now, in light of that, he then tells them and tells us how to live in light of that reality. So Peter has set the table, uh, and now it's time to eat. He's told us what God has done, and now he will tell us how to live in response. So let's give our attention to God's word. First uh, Peter 1, verses 13 through 21. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded... Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. All flesh is like grass, all its glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, once again, we thank you for the hope and encouragement of your word. Would you help us now to hear it? Would you bless the reading and the hearing and the preaching of your word so that we would be transformed and renewed from the inside out? And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As, uh, as many of you know, I was a band nerd in school. I was not blessed with, uh, with athletic ability, so instead, I wasn't necessarily blessed with a lot of musical ability, but you had to do something, so I was in the band, and I played tuba, even cooler. Uh, and, and my wife says I took it pro uh, by, by marching in college. Um, so I did a lot of marching band. Um, and every year at the beginning of the season, just like you would with any other activity, I won't call it a sport, but just like you would with any activity, right, you had to rehearse the fundamentals. And so every year in the sweltering heat of August, both in high school and then again in college, the first days of band practice were spent 
Everybody lined up in a big block, marching. We marched left, we marched right, we marched forward, we marched back. But for probably a solid week, we would spend our time marching. Now, by the time you get to college, uh, if you're doing marching band in college, you've probably marched a good bit. So the question would be, why in the world would you need to keep practicing marching? Uh, And the answer is... Because you need to make sure, especially we had 300 some odd people in the University of Alabama marching band. Oh, Tad. Um, you needed to make sure that those 300 some odd people were in step. That, you, that everybody's feet were hitting the ground at the same time with the beat of the music. Everybody's left foot hit on one beat. Everybody's right foot hit on the next. And we had white shoes. Everybody who has black shoes, y'all are cheating because you can't tell. But if you have white shoes, if you're not in step, you can see it. It looks like popcorn just popping all over the field, okay? So we would have to all, we would have to work to make sure that we were in step together because whoever's out of step, it becomes very obvious. And what Peter is doing here is these people have become out of step with the culture around them. They no longer, right, they are now marching to the beat of a different drum. And so that puts them at odds with the culture around them. They are out of step. And so what Peter now does for the rest of his letter is he is going to tell them how to be in step to the new beat, right? You were listening to country music, now you're listening to jazz, all right? Here's how, here's how jazz works. That's what, that's what Peter is doing. He's telling them how to be in step with God since they are out of step with the culture around them. How do we live in this pleasant uh, in this present reality? What does that beat sound like? And here's and here's what he says, right? Here's here's the gist really of almost the rest of the letter. He says future hope leads to present holiness. So you have been given a future hope and that hope now works backwards into your present life and gives you, right, or, or trains you in holiness. So future hope should lead to present holiness. What does that mean? Well, that's a, a topic he's going to unpack for the remainder of the, the letter. Um, but he begins first with the individual's relationship to God. And he'll work out from there. He's going to talk about how we relate to each other in the church how we relate to the community, how we relate to authority and in marriage, etc. But he begins by talking about generally what, what our relationship with God looks like. If God is your father and you are his daughter or his son, what should your life look like? And he gives us a couple of commands in these verses. The first one he gives us is he tells us to set our hope fully on God's grace. The first one. The second command he gives is he says, be holy as your father is holy. And the third command is to live with reverent fear during your sojourn or your exile. And then finally, he grounds it all in our redemption. All of that, you can do all of that because you have been bought with a price. So let's dive in and walk through each one of these. Set your hope fully on God's grace. Actually, the word that Peter begins with in verse 13 is therefore. And we should always ask, 
What's the therefore? Therefore. Uh, and it is there to tell us, right, what Peter is doing is he's transitioning. He's saying all of this being true, this reality that we've actually been looking at the past three weeks of what God has done, therefore, live in light of that. Because of that reality, this is how we should live. I was listening to a pastor and counselor, a guy named Paul Tripp, and one of the things he points out is he says, none of us actually live based on the facts of reality. We live based on our perception of reality. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not reality. It doesn't mean there's not truth. Um, There certainly is, but every single one of us lives based on our perception of that truth or reality. And some of us are closer to reality than others, right? You know people who live uh, completely delusional, apart from nobody in here, of course, but uh, there are people out there who are completely deluded as to reality, and therefore they, they don't live. They live based on their perception, not on reality. And so what Peter has done in those opening verses is he said, I know, I know your reality looks like this to you. This is how you perceive things. But I want you to have this perspective. I want you to look at reality from God's perspective and live accordingly. And so the first thing he tells them is, therefore, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revealing of Jesus Christ. Set your hope. Plant your feet. Stand firm. Fully. Not on anything else. Set your hope fully, and what should, I, what should I plant my feet on? What should I set my hope on? He says, the grace that will be brought to me when Jesus returns. Now, I want you to hear all of the passives in that. Grace, God's undeserved kindness to me. Can't do anything for it. I can't earn it. He gives it. And that grace will be brought to me. I don't even go get the gift. He will bring it to me. And when will he do that? When Jesus returns. And when will Jesus return? Whenever he's good and ready. I can't even make Jesus come back. Right? All I am doing is waiting. Right? And when when Jesus returns, right, for right now, King Jesus in his authority is veiled. It's spiritual. Those, those without eyes to see cannot see it. In fact, in our fallenness, we reject it. But there will be a day, one day someday, when the curtain is open and when the veil is lifted and King Jesus will be seen for who he is. His authority will be recognized. His kingdom will finally and fully come. And on that day, Peter says... We have grace as a deposit now. We will receive it fully. We will get all that's coming to us on that day. I am to set my hopes on that day. Not any moment before that day. Not on any other circumstances. Not on the success of my children. Not on my wife. Not on my career. I am to set my hope fully on the grace that will come one day someday. When Jesus is revealed. How do I do that? Right? Is it all passive? No, there is an active, right? There is activity. In fact, uh, theologian Francis Schaeffer calls the Christian life 
and active passivity. Isn't that fun? That's what theologians do. They just take two words that don't go together and they put them together, right? What does it look like to set to actively set my hope on that reality? Peter describes it two ways. First, he says, prepare your minds for action. Now, that's what the translation says, and it's what it means, but literally what it says is gird up the loins of your mind. What's he talking about? All right. Well, in in the ancient Near East, uh, they wore long cloaks that went down to their feet. And long cloaks are not very productive. For get, they're not very efficient at getting things done, right? So when you needed to be active, when you needed to work, when you needed to run, when you needed to fight, you would take that long cloak and you would pull it around your thighs and you would tuck it into your belt. That's what it meant to gird up, right? You, you were getting ready to do something. You were ready to work or ready to fight. And what's odd is, is Peter says, gird up your mind, right? So, so this, is a, this is a mental thing, right? We're not talking about necessarily physical action, but mental preparedness, okay? Uh, and so, so think, of, uh, think of all the Duluth Trading Company commercials. Y'all seen those, right? The, the somewhat overweight fella, um, he's always looking for a pair of pants that don't bind or pinch, Okay? That's what, that's what Peter is saying, right? You've got you to get free room for your legs to move, except this is a mental thing. We might say roll up your sleeves. How do you prepare your mind for action? Peter says by being sober. The translation I read says sober-minded. So he's not simply talking about uh, drunkenness or getting high, though it is included in that, Right? What he is saying is have a clear head, be moderate, be self-controlled. Let the hope of the future control your behavior in the present. Let the hope of the future control your behavior in the present. And if you maybe take a second to think about it, uh, who is often regularly intoxicated? Right, so if the opposite of, of being sober would be intoxicated, who, who do we find is often regularly intoxicated? Is it, is it not people who have given up hope? They've, they've lost sight of a glorious future or a good future and instead have chosen to just kind of numb themselves out in the present. It's the opposite of a, of a clear head, right? Because we've lost hope. I remember several years ago, I went on a trip to Honduras. Uh, we were working with a, a ministry there called the MICA Project. Uh, the, this ministry would get orphan homeless boys off the street uh, and give them a home uh, and give them schooling and hopefully raise them up so that they could uh, be productive members of society. Of course, tell them about Jesus in the process. Um, but... One of the things that they had to work against, those, those boys, when they would come into the home, had to be detoxed uh, because there was an industrial glue made near Tegucigalpa, the city, capital city of Honduras. And what these boys would do is they would find plastic bags or, or empty plastic bottles, and they, they would put the glue in there, and then they would huff that glue uh, until they were stoned out of their minds. We went and visited a landfill, a dump, city dump, 
Uh, you could smell it for miles going up to it, and you could see the birds circling around it. Uh, and there were actually uh, people who lived in the landfill. Children were born, babies were born in the landfill. They would take the trash and they would make homes out of it, and they would live in this landfill. And whenever the trucks would come in and they would, they would dump all their trash out, the children would run out onto the piles of trash to, to collect whatever they could to recycle, uh, maybe make just a, uh, some pocket change so that they could scrape by. Uh, and they would huff that same glue. Why? Because there's no hope in that life. If, friend, if, if I had to live in a landfill, if I had to live on the streets of Tegucigalpa, I would probably huff glue too. But Peter says we have a hope. And we don't need to lose sight of that hope. We need to be clear-minded. Don't intoxicate yourself because you've given up hope. Don't try to numb yourself to the reality of the present as hard as it is. Set your hope fully on the grace of God to come. Think and act based on your identity in Christ. The second thing he says is to be holy as your father is holy. In verse 14, he calls them obedient children. And he says, as obedient children, that's who you are. There's your identity. Don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. In other words, don't live the way you used to live when you didn't know any better. In verse 18, he calls this the the vain ways that you inherited from your ancestors. Peter is is saying, look, you've you've been called. In fact, that's exactly what he says. Uh, Verse 15, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. That word conduct comes up multiple times in this passage. It means way of life. So not just your Sunday morning practice. Not just your religious preferences, but all of your conduct. This word can also uh, be translated your walk, right? Your, Your entire way of life is to be holy. Why? Because the God who called you out of your former way of life, he is holy. In other words, you have a new family. You have a new father. Pattern your life after his character. Holiness is patterning your life, your entire way of life, around what God is like, around his holiness. Well, what do we mean by the word holy? That's a Bible word. It's a church word, but it may not be a word that you're familiar with. or that, And we may have all kind of wrong connotations for what it means to be holy. Right? The, the first thing that I can think of is being holier than thou. Right? The, the goody two-shoes are the people we don't like very much because they are self-righteous. Right? Well, that's, that's not holy. Holy is not first about your morals, though it gets there. The word holy uh, simply means to be set apart. According to R.C. Sproul, the, it, it comes from the word to cut. Uh, and so we, we might say a cut above, right? God is holy, right? Or if we, say, if we say that something is a cut above the rest, we're saying it's in a class all its own. It's completely separate. It is superior. It is ultimate. And so holiness is the word that ultimately describes God and everything about God. His love, his justice, his character, his law. It's all holy because God is holy. He is a cut above. He is superior to all the rest. 
And that's where we get the moral idea of holiness from. That if we're going to be like him, then it means our lives will look like the things he says are good. And we will remove the things that he says are not good. Rick read from Titus earlier. And you have there a picture. Here's who we were. Disobedient slaves. Former passions. But then God appears and he saves us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. And he regenerates us. He teaches us a new way to live. And so Peter is saying the same thing. Be holy because your father is holy. Conform your life to his. How do we do that? Well, that's what we're all about here. That's what the church that's one of the, the pastimes, so to speak. That's what the church is to be about. Uh, we are not a religious service provider. We don't just marry and bury. In fact, that's very incidental to what we do. It's important. People need to get married and people need to get buried. And so that's, that's important. But we're not a religious service provider, right? It's not an organization. It's a group of people who are learning from Jesus how to live. That's what the church is all about. We're a community of people who are following Jesus and trying to learn from him how to live, how to do life together. And so when we gather on Sunday mornings, we hear God's word. We receive God's grace in the supper, right? We are doing the things that help form and shape our character. We talked about that this morning in our Sunday school class, that we gather one day a week uh, to hear from God, to worship Him according to His Word, and then we scatter, right? Our gathering equips us for the scattering as we go out into the places where we live and work and play, right? You don't actually leave the church. If you're a member of the church, if you're a Christian, you can't leave the church because you're the church, right? This is not the church. This building is not the church. If a tree hits it tomorrow... It'd be a loss, but we'll find some, but the church will gather somewhere else, right? It's a small tree. It'd only take off the front, okay? Um, and so we gather to be equipped so that we can scatter. Be holy as your Father is holy. And then finally, he says, live with reverent fear during your sojourn. During your exile, during this time, while you are away from home, live with fear. Why? Well, he says, if you call on him as father, verse 17, who judges impartially according to each, one de- each one's deeds. So, he is our father, but he is also the impartial judge of the universe. He, he judges each person according to their deeds. Now, those who are in Christ on the last day will hear uh, not guilty, right? Because they are in Christ. But that does not mean, because we have received that grace in Christ, that does not mean that we get to flout God's law. Nor does it mean that he will not give us the consequences, some consequences for our sin in this present life. So Peter is saying, listen, live with fear before your father who is also the judge. Conduct yourselves, there's that word for the 
hold of your life again with fear, not with carelessness, not with apathy, but with awe and wonder and gravity. Uh, If you have a relationship with God through Christ, that does not give you free reign to sin. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Let me ask you a question. When, uh, before you were aware, how, how many of you, well, you don't have to raise your hand. Have you ever been pulled over for speeding when you didn't know what the speed limit was? You didn't see the sign. Maybe you hadn't gotten to the sign yet, but you were speeding and you got pulled over. Now, ignorance of the law, the police officer may have told you, is no excuse You don't get to break the law just because you don't know what it is, okay? How much more so when you know the law? How much more, like if I I see the speed, I'm like, oh, now I know it's 45, so I can go 65. That would be an absurdity, wouldn't it? I wouldn't, I should not expect to get a pass because I definitely know the law now. Now imagine that your dad is the police officer. We probably knew some folks who got off the hook because dad was a police officer or dad was a judge. You didn't like those people because you got in trouble and they didn't, right? Peter is saying, look, you have a personal relationship. Your father is the judge. Live accordingly. Don't, don't live like that spoiled kid in high school who got off the hook every time because his dad knew all the right people. That's not you. Live accordingly. You don't get to ignore the law simply because... You, you don't get to ignore your father simply because he's your father. Now, what does Peter ground all of that in? Look at verse 18. He says, Knowing... That you were ransomed. Your translation may say redeemed. The, the word here in Greek culture, if you were a slave and you were prepared to buy yourself out, you were prepared to buy, purchase your freedom, then you would go to the temple and you would pay this price, this ransom price, to the officials at the temple Whatever gods uh, you and your master served, you would pay the ransom price there at the temple, uh, and you and your master had reached an agreement. Uh, You would now be free upon paying that price. You were free from that master with the understanding that now you served that deity. Right? So the ransom price is what would be paid, was the agreed upon price that would get you out of your slavery. That's what Peter's talking about here. He also, that word is uh, biblical as well. It comes out of Hebrew culture in the Old Testament where they were purchased with a sacrifice. Same concept. To be redeemed, to be bought. And Peter says, you have been purchased not with perishable things. Now here's what's funny. Not with perishable things like silver or gold. He takes two of the most valuable materials in the ancient world, silver and gold, and says, perishable. 
You haven't been purchased with any old thing like silver and gold. You've been purchased with the blood of Christ. The very blood of the Son of God, who is like a a lamb without spot or blemish. You have been ransomed. You have been bought. The one who buys you, he was foreknown. From From before time began, the Father and the Son had this plan of redemption. Jesus was foreknown, but he has been revealed in these last days for you. Foreknown from all eternity, revealed in these last days for you. God moves heaven and earth to rescue the people that he loves. Why? So that our hope would rest secure in him. Through him, you are Believers, you are trusting who raised you are trusting in him who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Peter has come full circle. He starts with hope, talks about here's how to live in light of that hope, and then he ends with hope. Hope leads to holiness. And so there are two questions particularly as we prepare to come to the Lord's table. First, have you been bought? Have you been ransomed from your former way of life, what Peter calls the ignorance you inherited from your ancestors? Are you still living in slavery under an old master? I want you to hear the offer of the gospel. Because of the grace of Jesus, you can be free. You can be set free from that old way of life. You can be adopted. You can receive the name daughter or son of God through the work of Jesus. And if you do, you have hope forever. You can set your hope fully on that. Trust in Jesus today. For those of you who have, Peter says, be what you are. You are the adopted sons and daughters of God, so live. Live accordingly. Pursue holiness. In fact, we have a table set in front of us to remind us of what God has done. That's why we come to the table. In just a few minutes, I'm going to pray, uh, and um, we're going to take the cloth off the table, and we're going we're to share this meal together. And this is a A meal for those who have trusted in Christ. So if you have not yet trusted in Christ, if you're not yet a part of the family, we would urge you to abstain. Right? Parents, if you have children uh, who have not yet professed faith in Christ, it's okay that they wait. Right? We want you to have a good understanding of what this is. We want you to understand what Jesus has done for you. But if you are in Christ then this table, this meal, is given to us as a reminder. When we take the body, when we take the blood, when we eat the bread, when we drink the cup, we are reminded of the precious body and blood of Jesus that purchased us. Let that, let that sink into your mind and your heart as we take the supper together. Let me pray.